0: to another episode of The Comics Collective, the weekly podcast where we read or discuss a collection of comic books or graphic novel. I am your host Dallas.
1: I'm Alexis and I'm
0: Anne. And today we have a very special treat for not only you but for us as well. We have here in the studio with us Kieran Gillen, writer of such books as Die, Once in Future and for our X-Men Month, Immortal X-Men. Hi Kieran.
2: Hi, lovely to be here.
0: Thank you so much for coming on. This is a big treat for all of us. Big fans of your work. Thank you. Um, Like we said, we are currently in the midst of covering X-Men all month for a little event we've been calling X-May. And we thought it would be really fun to talk with you here at the end of the month about your current work on the immortal X-Men and just being part of this new Krakoa era. Um, So I guess my first question for you, this is not your first time in the X office. You came in during the Utopia era to write the Uncanny X-Men. How is writing Immortal X-Men during the Krakoa era, how's
2: that been different for you than inheriting the sort of Utopia era? Yeah. It's like I'm a decade older, and it's one of those kind of like, um, huh, sort of things, you know what I mean? Like, it's the first time I've ever come back to a, like a franchise before. Like, normally I very much don't do the same thing again. And uh, in this case, not doing the same thing again became... So doing the same thing again became not doing the same thing again <laughs> in that kind of like, oh, no, 10 years is a length of time. And it's just different now. I'm a very different writer. Um, the ex-office is a usually different place. And like. I and mean, that's I think the last bit's the important bit, like the kind of weird pirate gang that Jonathan put built together. That looked fun. I'll join up for like a, a, a ship around this the oceans and, you know, wave my cutlass at assorted people. You know what I mean? That that was kind mm-hmm. of the vibe. Yeah. Uh, and of course, it, and it's just—I mean, on the basic writing, level, it's just different. If you jump into a Marvel universe book, you're talking about the context. So, like the Scott I was writing five years ago was, you know, season five of Breaking Bad. He's a guy who's stepped to this position, and I was writing that. And like, I'm not writing Scott very much at the moment, but Scott's having a hell of a time now. He's kicking back, he's writing nerdy textbooks about how to fight monsters. You know what I mean? He's having a fun time. Mm-hmm. And that's what I mean. Like the cats are just different places. So you pick up and run with them. Uh so yeah, it's like it's a different, it's just completely different because it is completely different on every format. Um But yeah, it's you... also I mean, the small note I'll add to the end of that, it's also kind of unfinished business in some ways. Like I sort mm-hmm. of um I think Uncanny was one of the few books I felt that, yeah, I could have done some more stuff here. I enjoy the X, you know, and it's nice to have some time with Emma again and similar characters.
0: I love that. I, I love seeing Emma in good hands. She's my favourite <laughs> X character.
2: You don't want Emma in good hands, you want her
0: in bad hands. That's the uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, you know,
3: the correct hands. Some yeah, you. hands.
0: <laughs> um, do you feel like the status quo with Krakoa has affected your approach to the X-Men more or is it more just that the characters have changed since you were there?
2: I mean, like I mean, context is everything. You know, I mean, like uh, yeah, the characters have changed, but characters exist in the context. Uh, they I mean, this is one of the things I always think around in writing in terms of who we are around different people. Like, I'm not a constant. You know, people are floaty. I think, and especially you've got a situation as a, uh, extreme's wrong word, a situation as unusual as Krakoa. Yeah, that impacts stuff. And especially from the outside, when I was look, you know, I was I was a reader. You know, I was a fan. Uh, you know, I love the writers who involved, and I thought it's you know, it's all really bold and interesting. So when i move from one side of the curtain to the other i'm also going like but i've got hot takes on kokoa i mean everyone's got hot takes mm-hmm. so like you come in and you think okay i want to explore this this interests me and you sort of see like in the choices i make you know you sort of see where the book in terms of where what even the first two issues what i do with immortal it's very much um okay that intrigued me i mean let's say hope hope's an obvious example uh, I looked like a car. I thought, these five people are in charge of Resurrection, I think they should probably have more power. Or rather, like, I think they think they should have more power at some point. <laughs> and that becomes a plot. Especially, you know, and um, that's a really small example. I mean, obviously, stuff with Sinister's another one, you know, in terms of, like, if I was an evil super uh, genius and I knew there was somebody who could reset the universe, this is what I would do. You know what I mean? So, like, you just come in and you play. That's fun, you know. Um, and it's so... I mean, the X-Office has always been kind of collaborative. I think back in the the day when we had the Little Miniature Summits, uh, when I was writing it Cirque Utopia, that was fun. But obviously, the, the pirate ship model that exists now is just very, very different. Like, um, and I find, like, interesting and uncomfortable. Like, I'm uh, someone who's most happy being left alone in a cave and then emerging, like Gollum, uh, holding my precious and passing it around. <laughs> uh, and, like, to be forced to, like, be in, live in each other's shoes. I find that really uncomfortable. And I think that's good. You know, I'm like into it. Like, I'm definitely up for trying something. And it's having really interesting results. You interrogate everything from different angles. And there's a level of soft continuity at the moment, which I think is really appealing to me. And for me as a writer in the Marvel universe, it's always been that I want to encourage people to read more books rather than demand it. So like, if you're reading all the X books, you'll say, oh, this picks up this. And it's like, it's symphony. But if you're just reading one, here's a story. You know, and that's that's always been kind of both. Both those things are true. You want you want to read more books, be additive rather than necessary.
1: I like that. Is there just out of curiosity? From that previous era of X-Books into this one, has there been any book that has kind of more pushed or inspired this Immortal X-Men as compared to like any of the others? Because this is one of the books that's not continuing from the last season. It's completely new, completely original. But you mentioned some of those ideas you wanted to explore. Were there any in particular from previous runs that you had in mind?
2: Well, I mean, honestly, like I was asked to to join the book uh so the joint during the x office when jonathan was they knew jonathan was going to leave so it's like hey, hey kieran do you want to come in and we, we, we want to do a book called the Mortal x-men so in a real way i'm pretty sure that jonathan would be doing a quiet council book you know what i mean so in other words i kind of view my job is to pick up for what jonathan was doing in terms of his his core cool quiet council stuff so uh the political stuff involving moira and sinister and all that all that kind of the just the quiet council that was explicitly explicitly that. So that's what I pick up. Some so when I see Inferno, the the conflict between I don't know Xavier and Magneto and all that stuff. That's what I view I'm, the threads I'm running with, um, and the wire of Krakoa, like the high and the integration between. I mean, if it was any single episode, I think inspires my um, run is was it episode, which episode of Hoxpox was it? It was the it's the one where they go to the they do, they get the diplomats and Magneto shows off a bunch, <laughs> you know. Oh.
1: I think that, it was like X Men Four or something.
2: Yeah, 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 and it's so it's so good, uh, and that is kind of that. That's what it is, as in this is mainly this is the book. Yes, it's got lots of action and drama and scheming and stuff, but it's also a book which is interested in the matters of policy. You know, you can see that in the first issue, like when we're you know the 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 action sequence is essentially a voting sequence, and it's exciting. At least I think it's exciting. Um, you know what I mean? So that's the kind of the, the kind of the smart political stuff that john was doing i think that's the main influence on the book
3: awesome that's so cool i kind of a smaller question kind of coming from that what goes into writing a book with like so many different moving parts of characters like with the quiet council we have so many important (laughs) characters within that what does that look like for you
2: well i think the important ingredient is panic you know you must understand just be fear and panic and just genuinely worrying um you know, I'm not even joking. There is a bit of that, especially with Immortal. The fact that it's the political book, that means what was it? Politics derives from the, of the people, the city. You know what I mean? So, in other words, like I, I want to at least know what other, all the other books are doing because setting up a, a Legion of X. That you know, that's a matter of policy. That's something the, they've decided to do. Um, so, I wanted to sort of feed in um, on that soft level. And the same, it's got a cast of twelve people. That's impossible. You know, um, so i m I'm trying to think I was On one level, I'm basically anything that's big and a big question that threatens Krakoa, I probably turn it into a story. Obviously we're going into judgment day soon. And that, that's kind of that's spinning out of various things that happened before it. But it's explicitly, this is okay, what's the matter of policy now? And of course it's a superhero book. Occasionally policy involves fighting a monster or whatever. But like um the this is a real situation, what do we deal with it? This is what's happened in the real world, uh this is what happens inside Krakoa. How are we going to deal with it? But yeah, look at the cast, and it's like, we have a variety of characters. And people have actually asked me, like, have you based this stuff on, like, real politics? And not really. I've, made, I've more based it on these are 12 people who have beliefs. I, I, and it, here's a situation. Uh, here's an example. Like, I don't know, the, the fish finger sandwiches, let's say. Like, should we allow fish finger sandwiches on Krakoa? And then I would think, okay, what does uh, Emma think about this? Uh, and Emma would go, no, it reminds me of Namor. It annoys me. Uh, you know, an Exodus goes, no, uh, Jesus Christ, turn fish into what, you know, made fish multiply. Therefore, we should have more fish finger sandwiches. And then that becomes the plot in terms. Of, and, also, and then it becomes the question, of what will these people do to get what they want and what is, what is important to them? So it all comes back to character for me. And that's weird. Of course, a politics book can seem to be really cold. Um, and my stuff quite, quite often leans cold, even at, um, because the characters tend to be quite right. But the real heart of it is the characters and what do these people want and what were they willing to do to get it? Um, and that's why there's something wonderful about a vote because a vote is incredibly clean. You know, what I mean, everyone knows the rule of the game. Let's do it. Um, and the other flip of it is the fact that I have such a big cast. I concentrate. You know, like the first two issues, we have a character focus, like Sinister or Hope. And I up to issue eight, and I've rotated the cast every issue. And that point, we're giving a chance to see. And that's what I'm really I'm interested in character. And it's weird. It's like um, i come I think it's weird. I've concentrated on, shall we say, not the most obvious characters first um like I, I mean emma's issue four but like i've really dug into the um you know in fact, i don't think i've written anyone who's unashamedly heroic till issue seven <laughs> it's like what's wrong with me <laughs> it's like uh i mean it's not like i hate kitty or anything you know like but I, the, the the being able to sort of take this story then gives someone a strong focus and it does like multiple things partially it allows you to basically tell what each person the current can sorry it lets you say why well, each person in the Quiet Council is interesting, but it also lets you kind of um, show how they see about everyone else. So you get really good, the character, pro- and you also make it really human because what interests me is, I said it's a political book, but it's also about the people. You know, that's the kind of like, I, I would hope by this, when I sort of finished this first run on the, when I say run, I mean section of issues when I'm rotating the casts, it's like people go, oh, right, that was a really cool issue based on this character as well. You know, and they'll go, oh yeah, this really got this person, or gave me an, or gave me, I think ideally, I've never thought about this character in this way before. Um, not, I mean, I don't always go for, the, for something that big, but with certain characters, I'm like, "Here's an interesting, in- here's an insight." I think about what makes them tick. I'm going to lay it out there. Um, so yeah, well, so, and of course, your mo- your vo- your mileage may vary. <laughs> uh, but like, it's really that. Let's look into. I think mean, that says a lot about how I've changed the character as well. Sorry, character as a writer. Like coming off the back of Die. Um, the interiority of these people seem really interesting. And digging. And I've always been interested in digging into flawed people. Uh, and all people are flawed people. So um, me having that as a, fo- a focus on Immortal was quite useful for me too.
0: Do you feel like there's a character whose voice is more difficult for you to capture in that cast of Immortal?
2: Not so far. Like, um, so the, the, uh, This is the other advantage of the rotating the cast thing. The fact you've got to have a narrator um, in an issue means that you've got to confront someone's voice. You can, you know, you can't... Um, if you're writing a character who's in the room, you can write them in a lighter way, you know, but if you're actually writing them in, from inside their head, you've really got to, like, first-person it, as in, what are they really thinking? Uh, you can't just, like, get throw away a... You know, you can't be writing Wolverine, say, bub a few times and schnicked, you know. Like, if, if that's Wolverine walking in, that's perfectly, perfectly passable Wolverine. If you're writing first-person Wolverine, it's something different. So, like, me rotating the cast does mean that, like, I'm forced to deal with it. I mean, like, uh, Shaw, there's a good example. Like, um, Shaw is somebody who early on I'm writing quite at a distance and quite you know because he doesn't need to be. You know, he's he's kind of had his power broken, arguably, uh, and he's in a, he's very much in a supporting Emma position at the moment. And he's also a voice for the, the most cynical, the most cynical commercial interest. So he's got that voice. He, ta- he voices those positions. But when we get to his issue, no, I'm writing I'm writing Shaw from the inside out, and I really get to learn him. And it's weird. I wouldn't say I like him, but I'm, but I'm. There's a couple of lines. In fact, one of the first lines I wrote for him, and it was me saying, "Oh, well, I get him now," and I get it. Just the sh- I suppose the shameless joy of him, and I, I'm pretty. I hope that from then on, as I write him more, people will be able to see that I've I've got to a different level on him, and I hope that's the same with all the ca- characters. Um. So, um, I think the flip of it is that I've also concentrated some of the less big names because I've got a theory that if someone else is in another book. They're a little bit too busy, you know. Like you've got that classic idea that Wolverine is in eight books at once, so he's how, who who wrote how who arranges his social calendar? What's his Google calendar like? Uh, and I was like, no, no, let's do it. If um, you know, if, if you know, if Storm is up on Mars doing all these challenges all the time, she's not in council meetings. You know what I mean? So it's not like she's incompetent or takes her off the ball. There's, there's just an impossibility. So the people who are mainly just in my book are the people who are working more just purely in physical terms. Um, and that's really useful, because you've got a character like Nightcrawler, who's a great character I love, um, and occasionally gets, like, wait, what happened when I was out the room? And that kind of, you know what I mean? And that's, that's really, because that says the awfulness of the situation. Um, I'm not sure if I've answered the question. I might have answered several other questions, though.
0: I mean, it was fascinating <laughs> that's to <great>. me, so.
2: Awesome.
1: <laughs> that was... A lot. Thank you for that. And I hope everyone listening for X-May has a lot to look forward to coming very, very um, shortly in Immortal X-Men. But for the moment, I want to kind of pivot off for a second because we actually covered one of your books not too long ago. Um, We talked about Die on the podcast and it was a favorite of mine. I think it's a favorite of my lovely Taylors over there as well. And I just wanted to ask a few questions about that, if that's okay, because it's a book that means a lot to me personally. And I know a lot of people out there love it so much
2: thank you yeah please i'm i'm, I'm yeah. here at your pleasure you know awesome. uh, so, <laughs> hit me.
1: so there's a lot of i know reading die there's a lot of themes that revolve around like self-identity and self-discovery and the struggles to figure out like who you are as a person and i have to ask what's the hardest part about writing a character like ash and making sure that it's resonant with all sorts of people who might be reading the book whether True. they relate or not
2: yeah, no, it's tricky in that way, especially because like Ash, I'm mining all manner of stuff about on my own shit. You know, sorry, just mm-hmm. walk. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm definitely uh, doing my own kind of like how I have thought about like gender and sexuality and in, in games. Mm-hmm. Um, and with Ash, you walk. You're trying to, you're trying to be honest about what you're writing about, but at the same time, you definitely don't want to overreach in different areas, and you're very aware of like how many different ways could this be taken. So when I'm doing like um, we have like sensitivity readers, like Natalie Reed, who does it, who, who's amazing. I mean, the discussions are very much like, okay, we know what you're trying. We're trying to say here or do what? What? How else could it be taken? Um, you know what I mean? So that's that. Trying to do what? Say something honest and real about my experiences and, like, small, how people approach games is one hand, but making sure it also doesn't go entirely effing wrong is <laughs> the other. You know what I mean? Um, especially with Ash, because Ash is. Um, I mean, Ash is undoubtedly a coming out story. But it's also mm-hmm. it's, it's. I think it's unusual in the coming out story because it never ever actually settles on a, an identity. It just says whatever I choose is fucking sorry. Whatever I choose is valid, <laughs> you know, and it's up to me. Uh, and I will do, you know. And that's kind of in some ways when we leave it is useful because that leaves it slightly open for the reader. Like if you have if you have your own reading on Ash, that you are you know, and there's several readings you can have on Ash. Uh, I mean, it's, it, they mentioned genderqueer in issue 19, but you know, that Ash doesn't say she's genderqueer. <laughs> she just, that's an idea she considers. Um, so, in some ways, it being as open as it at the end, I mean, literally, the last thing Ash says to when when uh, she gets back to Sophie is, I've got so much to tell you. And she's not talking about die, you know? She's talking about, I can finally actually, I want to talk to you about this now. Um, so, that's kind of like, so I've gone way off the end there. Uh, but that's one, that's that's where it sort of all cascades towards. And I also wanted to do. Um, just something is a bit more complicated. It'd be really—I mean—I don't say it'd be easier to give it a, very, a simple story, but like I, so much of my work is about liminal places and complexities, and like how trying to encourage people to be honest about everything they can be honest about, whilst also bracketing, not overstepping stuff which isn't theirs to talk about as well. So all those things are really important to me. um Okay, that's a lot of random stuff there. Sorry, I'm not sure I've answered no, any questions. No. That was a lot of random stuff,
1: but it always related to the question. It all gave me a lot of good insight. So thank mm-hmm. you very much for that. That's I know Ash is a character that means a lot to me and a lot of my close friends. So I'm they're really going to appreciate that. Um, there's a lot to the world of Die that we got to see in this book, and a, just Ash is as you know just one of the main characters. Isabel and Angela are also some of my favorites. Did you have um, out of all of them? Did you have a particular one that was like your favourite to write? And do you have like a particular role that's your favourite? Like, if you were in the world of Die, which role would you
2: pick for yourself? <laughs> the role I pick is anything to get the hell out of there. No, no, it's like it's a bit, <laughs> that place is a bit too honest. Um, the, um, so I often say like, I don't, um, who's your favourite character? Now, you get asked that a lot, obviously, because that's not an, an obvious and understandable question to ask. And for me, mm-hmm it's never really your favorite character it's always like who are the favorite characters you put together and when i was writing wicked divine it was like you've put cass and amaterasu in the same room and it's hilarious you know, because like just just the push and pull between their various problems or the, the ways of personality. He would always sing. And it's those people work well together. And a good example of that. In, um I mean, Dai, we, we move the cast. We move the pairings around a bunch. You know, what I mean, that's kind of a that's the sort of thing people do in sitcoms. You take the cast. So you, every episode you have six characters and you move them into different pairings. And that's how they refresh the episodes. Um, but that's what kind of we do in Diamond as the teams split or the parties rearrange. One that I really enjoyed, um, Isabel and uh, Chuck, um, as a kind of like, the, the character is very serious and well-meaning and and not, not entirely always honest with herself. And uh, Chuck, who is, you know, a monster on, on lots of different levels, um, and is arguably too honest with himself, but also is, doesn't really believe that being honest matters. Like, um, and they were funny. You know what I mean? And they were, they they argued, and when you got characters mm-hmm. actually arguing about really important stuff, it, it runs away. Especially when you reach the end, when you know um, they you know they flip, they flip mobile positions, uh, which is one of those bits where you go, wait, wait how, have, how have we ended up here? I'm like, did I plan that? I don't know. Maybe because that was the other thing about Die. I want to make these really complicated people, and then throw them into a blender, and because like in Wicked, characters basically had like not just like they weren't one dimensional, but they had like a, a core drive as in. It's, this is what I'm about. This is what this is about. Like Ball is about uh, performance of masculinity and things people do to live up to it. Uh, whilst the uh, Baphomet was about uh, inability to live up to the the flip of ball in many ways, the inability to live up to that. And of course, both of the so characters get messed up in completely different ways. Whilst with Die, the characters have at least two, two to three big problems each. It's never quite simplified down to one thing, you know. Like, um, and that makes them. Um, it makes Die a messier story, you know. Uh, it also makes it a more complicated one. I think, you know, it's a more flawed story, but I think that's kind of part of what I wanted to do because uh, perfect is too easy. Um, but to really answer the question, it's Ash, isn't it? Like, I wouldn't have made a, like Ash the narrator if I didn't want to, like, spend most of the issue writing. <laughs> you know, like, it has to be her. Because <laughs> he, okay. he, like, yeah. she, she was really interesting, like, um, and it was a really, like, writing writing that much in first person is revealing. You know what I mean? That's kind of the... Cause that's what Ash says at the end. is like a, games are just a conversation. You know, and that you should be listening to what the conversation is telling you. Um, and that's kind of the... Uh, you know, that's what Ash is. You actually get a chance to really dive into stuff. And she's really poetic. You know, when things... Like, when when she gets going, you get... Um, you can sort of feel the slow build towards the... Uh, uh, you know, the Narnia is a Closet too, You know, which is like you, you knew I had that written really early on. It's like, right, that's good. We'll get there. <laughs> Um, yeah, so let's say Ash. If a character if I was one, I think if people I've asked if people have asked me this before, and if, I think if people who didn't know me, they might say dictator or something. I think people who know me would probably say fool. I am an I am a buffoon. You know what I mean? Like I'm I'm I will make a joke over almost any situation, and you um, know, and try and try to make people happy. I mean, I'm not a fool like Chuck is, but like who would be a fool like Chuck? Um, not even Chuck wants to be a full like Chuck, um, but it t- when I'm actually running the game, uh, like I tend to make writers Godbinders. If someone says they're a writer, because there's something really about conversation, having arguments with people in your head and trying to get what you want from them, that's literally my job. You know what I mean? So, like, if you want to like turn writing into magic, yeah, the Godbinder is what you would end up being. And I submit like, maybe quite if I chose to choose one, maybe I would choose the Godbinder. Because the idea of like who would my pantheon be, you know, that's the uh, that's fun too. That is cool. Who would,
1: if you could pick one person for your pantheon, just just because you mentioned it, I have to know. Do you have anyone off the
2: top of your head? Ha, I you just went to Bowie. Uh, like, <laughs> I did, like I didn't even bother thinking. In fact, before you even started answering the question, I was already thinking Bowie. So let us just go with my subconscious. It knows things I don't by definition.
1: Excellent. Yeah, that's that would definitely be amazing um i have to also ask you have the um the die game in um um coming out soon which we're all very excited to play dallas yeah. has us signed up to get that as soon as it comes out so one of the things that interests me most about Die is we got to see a bunch of the worlds, and we love seeing, like, your love for games and your love for the works of these different authors, um, like Tolkien and H.P. Lovecraft. We love seeing that expressed in the world. But there are a bunch of sides of Dai that we didn't get to see in the comic. Will we get to explore those in the game? And do you have, like, can you tell us some of the other authors that if you could have or, or might be in the game, who they would be?
2: Well, it's like... Obviously, the Kickstarter is going on at the moment, which is—I think—we're literally halfway through it uh, on, on the day of recording. So, um, which is fun. It's going really well. Um, I'll tell you what. The, the way the game works is—I mean, the game does a lot of things. Like, if for those who've actually read Die, there's a, there's a bit where you go beneath the realm of thirteen and you see all the other worlds. These uh, this this horror image of these eggs, and every single game of Die is one of those worlds. And so, at least part of the game is the world you go to is yours. As in, like, you don't. You know, yeah, you use the elements of the die we go to in the in the comic, but in reality is the game is about we create the persona. So, like, you create your own group of messed up people, but the world they've got to go to has to speak to them. So, if their obsession is like we mentioned, David Bowie, if they're obsessed by Bowie, there's going to be a day, there's going to be some David Bowie in there, and there's so much about die, which isn't about doing what we do. I mean, we give you like the big stuff, we give you like the Neo, and the, we give the classes, we give the fair, we give you know the big iconic die stuff. But the stuff which is about the world has to speak to the persona. So we give ways of making, like, you know, twist it. Like, what do orcs look like in your world? Here's here's how you twist orcs. You know, we give you different ideas. Like, you know, in, in, I don't want to go down too far down that hole. Mm-hmm. Um, so, no, there's not there's nothing really about the other sides. Uh, mm-hmm. it's just, actually, I've just been tweaking the, the actual character stats, stats for Die itself. Um, you know, the, the whole bio of him. So there is some stuff, but it's not like a classic garbage. It's much more about the people. However, like, if we ever did more, yeah, you know, like, um, if we did, like, another source book, you know, a, a Die World book makes a lot of sense. You know, uh, me just, you know, this is... And to what how I think we would do it wouldn't just be the classic RPG of, like, here is this, here is the map of Ang- Angria. That actually would we'll probably do that. But it would also be, like, here's some details about Angria, and then here's how to make your game more like a, a social game. Or, or here's some details about the Realm of thirteen, and here's some rules to make it more horror. So the idea being, depending which region you go to, the game tweaks in its form a little, and that's kind of like already in the comic. We talk about like some some regions, you know, this is how you get stuff done in Angria. That you know, in, in that's mechanized. You know, that would have to be a rule because that's how games work. Um, so we're chewing over, and then at least one reason we haven't done that is because, as you say, we haven't done. them. Um, there are multiple, there's so many signs we haven't revealed, and there's so many signs we've alluded to, and it's like. I mean, it's definitely true over the idea of a sequel. You know, we've still we've got ideas there. Um, so, if we had, ever did a sequel, well, you know, I don't really want to reveal it before we did a sequel. You know, like, traffic is think it's any of actually. Um, quite interesting, you say, you say writers. I and mean, yeah, the first, you know, the die, we did absolutely concentrate on writers. But there was actually, there's one implied master who you don't meet, but isn't. It's the, the Righteous Fitz brothers, the generals, in the, who are Eternal Pressure's master. And they're, of course, game designers. So like, there is a, there is a. Me to us, I know all the regions and I know all the masters. So it's not like this isn't like a. This is a. You know, I've got. I have, We have the map. <laughs> That's the. You know. But it's like it was always a kind of like we're not going to talk about it unless we go there. Um. Traffic is anyone anyone any traffic is any I've actually said so far. Um. A lot of it is just what because. I'm ex-critic, and Die is designed as a kind of a living critical construct of the stuff that went into RPGs. So we have basically, you know, angry, you know, the Little England versus um, uh, Eternal Prussia, and versus Angria. This kind of this is a war over what games are: our games genre, our games mechanics, our games the social contract of a circle of people, and that's you know Angria, Eternal Prussia, and Little England, respectively. Um, So that all of Die is a bit like that. You know, we've got, a, you know, we've sort of referred to um, uh, the Dreaming Lands. You know, we haven't actually been to the Dreaming Lands, but that's why. I don't think we've said the master of the Dreaming Lands, that people might be able to guess it. I mean, Dreaming Lands, it's aggressively, the, um, it's the D&D realm. It's all of it. It's the, okay, I'm going to say this, actually. Um, My idea of the Dream, like, the core sort of visual for the Dreaming Lands is it's denser, as in it's, it's almost, like, piled up on top of each other, like, it's got too much stuff in there. So it's the idea of like the majority of what we think of RPGs is in this realm. So it's much more dense and weirdly packed and weird and nonsensical because D&D tends to be a little bit nonsensical. I say in the kindest way possible. (laughs) Um, Like, and that's that's I'm going to give something elsewhere. It's neighbouring a region which is about the other games it failed, which it basically destroyed and competed with, and that's more like a wasteland. You know, and that's the Mm. kind of idea. You know, so I don't want to talk about like we. I mentioned Gondol, and we saw there's implication that Anne is probably the master of Gondol. You know, we got the um, um, Charlotte is Northern Angria, but there's Middle Angria, and there's also Southern Angria, and so like there's there's lots of implications of masters you may not have met. Um, but yeah, it's fun. Um, I'm just trying to. I don't even say that either. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, who would you um, like to see? As Matt. What, what sort of what sort of region would you like to see in die? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I do have to say I
0: love knowing how much you love Tolkien by reading that book, I do like that you have the map. That that feels
2: very appropriate. <laughs> it's you know, hard though because yeah. it's like a it's a proper world map, so you've got to explode. It doesn't look as pretty. Stephanie will draw it properly. Um actually I'll tell you, like the uh one of the fun actually no, I can't say that. One of the fun thing, thing is the numerology of die. Like I there's a lot of stuff like um uh, it's a roll-down D20, like the one I'm holding. So, um, 1911, let me try to find it. 1911, 1911, 1911, 1911 are the realms of Little England, and they're by each other. Northern Little England and Southern Little England. Southern Little England is H.G. Wells's realm. 11 being, of course, 1911, which is the region that when he wrote Little War. Eight, uh, 1918, if you go across, of course, is the end of World War One. 1817 is when the uh, uh first made World War II. So in other words, the, the, the numbers on the die are a conversation over those dates. Uh, which is not something anyone get unless I actually told them. But it's there if you know people actually sit and look at the map. Um, I think actually this is something to talk about the RPG briefly. One of the things we give is a camp. You can play die in a, the core cool way of playing die is like a quick you know, one to four session games, probably two to four session. That's the way we give it. But obviously we've got all the sort of like longer campaigns and we've got a campaign frame and that's kind of um, a specific way of like making your own die. So I mentioned like, you know, the world just speaks to the persona. And the, the, the trick there is like you, you do that with your persona as in like, this is okay. This region is about your character, the, the, the book you loved as a teenager, but warped weirdly. <laughs> and this is how you do it. And that's bordering the um, realm, which is another character's uh, teenage love affair with punk rock. And then you walk that herb. And then, of course, you explore the world and you basically have the world reflect your personas in a life back at them. And then, of course, at some point, the regions go to war with each other. So suddenly you've got this kind of like real externalization of everyone's um, trauma and uh, interest and stuff. You know what I mean? So it's like it's so much how to make it your die. And, of course, in fact, die is so, um, what's the word? Sampledelic. And I'm encouraging players to do that. It's like, oh, yeah, this is the Grimdark Care Bears region next door to a region of, like, candy clowns versus next door to Star Trek robots or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, um, mm-hmm. but And it holds together because the, character, the characters know it's their psychodrama, you know? And that's one way of playing Die, which is fun because you get to make your own masters. And you think, okay, who would be the master of the Care Bear region? <laughs> uh, <or> well <whatever. laughs>
0: I like that. How do you feel like your approach to game design differs from your approach to writing narrative in stories? Um,
2: I, I ooh, sorry, l- literally hear the pause. Um I think my game design is an extension of my thinking as a writer. I was chatting to somebody else about this recently. Um, because yes, I came from a critic and there's a lot of criticism in my writing, I, I'm often, I break things apart methodically. I mean, there's the inspiration and, and you know, stuff there, but really I'm a kind of, I'm, I'm a thinker. I think, I think I think about stuff relentlessly and it's kind of got to a point where it's not, and you know, I often do stuff like I give tutorials and I give instructions of how stuff, I try to be transparent though. How is the sausage made? Um, and at least that's partial encouragement to other people make sausage. You know then I mean, like, I want to it's not just saying me just talking about my own stuff, it's me saying I want you to do this too. Form a band, essentially in the punk rock mode. Now, I've sort of got to a point, especially with certain forms of genre writing, it's no longer enough to actually be good enough to do the thing. I want to be good enough to tell other people how to do the thing. And I think that's what my game design is. Like die is explicitly a game about this is how you make your own die. Not remake mine, make yours. And I break it down. These are rituals of way these are steps you can follow. And rituals to make a story that has this level of effect for you so this involves me understanding what i do well enough to turn it into rules to allow you to do what i've done that and you can sort of see that like even in like the small throwaway games not throwaway, that's not right even the smaller games i've put on itch um you see some of that there this is me trying to like there's a game called there called come dice with me now come dice with me is based on come dine with me a british reality tv show which is competitive dinner parties where a group of strangers Across a the week, they each for a party They for a point for each other every night, and at the end of the week, they whoever gets the best party gets gets some money. And it's the most backbiting, stupid because you know it's just. it I watched like the first year of COVID. We basically all we did were me and my wife. We watched that a lot, and it got to the point where I feel I understood that that TV show completely. And so I made a game of how to make your own role play session of people role playing a dinner party, and then I've never watched it again. <laughs> so like my critical essay. On that show was this is how you do it. and This is why it's funny. This is how it works. And like, and it, and it, it's a really funny game. I'm very proud of it. That. So that's what I think my game design is. It's basically me trying to um, continue my, continue my urge to democratize and encourage people to be creative. Because this is one of the things about um, it's uh, Alex not Alex Hearn. That's the Guardian writer. Alex Roberts, the designer for, uh, for the Queen. Um, when I was interviewing her for the back of the die, she has this quote talking about. RPGs you know we get this idea of creatives are these people who do stuff and we kind of go ooh at them or whatever <laughs> and like um it's just not true like RPGs show how easy it is for people to get around a table and make worlds or any number of worlds in an evening with their friends creativity is infinite and yours that's kind of the thing that's behind a lot of my work i mean i mean the point of wictiv is creat- creatives aren't gods it's just a lot of work <laughs> you know what i mean that's literally the point of so much of my stuff um and i but also at the same time creating is magic but it's a magic that's for everybody. You know, and I think the ability to imagine worlds other than they the ability to imagine worlds other than they are is utterly freeing for people. You know, and I think um I always come back to stuff. This is with in Phonogram as well, like this is all the way through. But the, what I remember writing earlier with Phonogram that um how much I was inspired by parkour, you know, like when that was happening in the early first videos I saw of parkour in the early noughties. We're like yes but not just because people are jumping around but the the philosophy of it in terms of you know these this is an art form that grew up in um essential like prisons like they they make these concrete estates and they're designed as prisons for human beings this is just know your place and this is basically looking at the environment they're in and reimagining it as a play park you know no this isn't where i am this is where i am i mean skateboarding is a similar thing you could argue um and the magic of that way of thinking and how thinking could free people and that's the first step to being free is very much what I'm into. And that's what I, I think is in one reason why I've gone to games and seen.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I do just want to tell you that I fully intend for the die game to be my very first RPG. I have not played a little bit of context. I'm his younger sister and I grew up watching him read comics and watching uh. him enjoy that medium and so he just kind of dragged me into this podcast with him and i am kind of like the new opinion of every i'm reading ev- everything we do on the podcast i'm reading for the first time so i am very excited to play that game i'm i'm, I'm waiting for it to come out
2: <laughs> I, hope it, I hope you hope you enjoy me and like um, and if you don't like it don't hold it against time there's there's probably you know, <laughs> I won't cuz i love that.
3: love that I loved reading that as well. It was one of my favorite episodes that we've ever done. So,
2: I tell you, it's like I came to comics light. I'm I'm, I wasn't. I mean, I read it as a kid. Then I fell out as a teenager, and I came back hard in my twenties. So, like, I'm a very, very late convert, and it's really exciting to basically come into something you know nothing about. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's like wow. I it's like always the metaphor I always use is like imagine like oh yeah, you know music exists, but then you hit like for me it was like mid twenties, and it was what's that? The shops full of this stuff. And, and they've got 100 years of recorded history I can explore. And it's all good. I do know. It's wonderful. Um, so, yeah, it, it's fun. <laughs> I am you.
3: I was going to say this. And Dallas and Anne are both going to want to punch me after I say this. But I was reading the very first issue of Immortal X-Men. And I fully did not know that Nightcrawler was related to Mystique at all. Right. <laughs> and yes. I was like, what?
2: <laughs> so brilliant. it's just
3: great. I really am just going in fully blind into all of these, and I just love it so much.
2: It, it's true. Like the thing with the X Men, it's all X Men is ludicrously complicated. So, <laughs> <It's all right. laughs> I think that's down. Sound...
1: <laughs> oh um, my gosh!
0: <laughs> I think one of my questions coming out of that conversation about creativity and democratizing uh storytelling, I think there's pretty obviously a big theme in a lot of your work of the nature of narrative and story reading die next to once in future, you can see how characters play a role in the story and how the story affects them. So what, what role do you feel like metafiction has in your, in your work after reading something like Peter Cannon, Thunderbolt, I just, when I'm reading your work, I start to ask questions. about like, what is he trying to say about story here?
2: Especially I'm, Peter Cannon was explicitly like... That was almost like a critical essay as a as an adventure story. And that was kind of the, the fun of it and the point of it. Um, and, you know, essentially doing a Watchmen sequel in all but name. Which, of course, the first lesson everyone should learn from Watchmen, in my opinion, is that if you, you can do any story you want, as long as you a, use analogues. You know what I mean? The point of Watchmen, these aren't, you know, the, the Charlton characters. You, you just lob an analog at it, you're fine. Um, I'm obviously interested in metafiction because I'm a formalist. I think that partially comes from coming to the medium late as in I'm explicitly aware of what a comic is. Like, I don't take anything for granted. It's like, oh, I'm coming because I can see this is doing stuff other things can't do. Therefore, that's the stuff I want to talk about because I'm a late convert. Um, and partially, it's just the critical brain. It's the way I kind of, like, okay, let's talk about it. And the part of it is the demystification of it. Like, I also think, I think this is magic, but I think it's teachable magic. Therefore, someone like Peter Cannon is, this is how I do it. Or in the case of Wiktiv, this is the story about how stories can be used to control you. Um and I'm gonna lie to you in every single way I know across fifty episodes, you know, and this will be like I'm explicitly doing these narrative forms to sort of show you how it's done, and of course hopefully inoculate you like that's kinda of, i mean that that's literally not gonna happen but because i'm i I say that as somebody's hyper vulnerable to story <laughs> you know I'm very aware how I, I mean I'm infected by story, but like the power of stories to sort of like warp how we see the world is um, if we step away from metafiction, I suppose I'll step back to metafiction in a bit. That's the thing that worries me Like, I mean, let's say Gaiman. Gaiman's somebody who is um, weirdly not a big influence on me. Obviously, I like a lot, but he was never one of the big guys for me. He's. Uh, I think I got most of the stuff most people get from Gaiman. I got it from Pratchett. Um, like, which probably explains why I do more jokes. Uh, sorry. Um, but like, Gaiman's great, but there's a team. And this is unfair to Gaiman, I stress. Um, like, you could take away his point. Stories are, stories are powerful. Isn't that wonderful? That's kind of like a thing you might boil his stuff down to. And he could boil my stuff down to, stories are powerful. Be afraid of stories. Um, and that's it. You know, that, and that's the kind of... And that's when you come back to the metafiction. So when I start doing metafiction, when it isn't just me being loving the form, it's also me... Be aware of the stage. Like, be aware of what's... And, and like... I'm doing a face here which doesn't really work on podcasts but um, my face is, I'm not sure I agree with what I've just said because um, I don't I also do stuff you lose yourself in I think like I rarely use the metafiction to sort of I think I use the metafiction for moments of wonder I just like, the that's kind of weirdly, despite it being the stuff that takes you out of the story it's also the stuff that I want to delight you most with, as in they just did what? You know, the audacity. How dare you? I like, um, you Do that with Wiktiv. When we do, like, half the stuff in Wiktiv, it's like, oh, yeah, we're going to do, like, ten black pages in a row. You know what I mean? Like, um, as a reader, I would be delighted. And, you know, part of it is like, what would amuse me as a reader? Which says more about me than anything else, I suspect. But, but yeah, those two things I think are both true. Like, the metafiction is a device for creating wonder and joy and interest in what comics can do, as an encouragement to try it. And my general broad fear of story as a device. Like, um... I mean, it's that is a slogan, you know. And I'm somebody, you know. I look at, phrases, I'm really worried about Twitter. You know, what I mean, I'm very worried about uh, social media just eating my our brains in a variety of ways and our capacity mm-hmm. to understand the world. And how we I mean, look at conspiracy. I mean, conspiracy theory is the most petrifying thing. In the, not true either. Uh, but conspiracy theory is one of the most petrifying things in the world. And how stuff just works like this. And I worry for humans. And I think if we don't learn to be better at like beating off story without falling into everything is untrue either because nihilism is also a nihilism is also a story you know all these things are stories and it's just a maze and that's kind of like um uh, what a lot of my stuff like what's the future uh, which we haven't mentioned but um what's the future was explicitly to sort of designed to pick up from wikdiv then Wicked was so much like stories are tricks be careful about k especially a story you want to believe about yourself that's the best story to trap you in um Whilst Once the Future kind of just starts something off. Oh no, all stories are bad, which is not something I believe. But like Once the Future, just plays that as an idea, you know what I mean? Uh, like, let, let's just pretend stories are predators that want to kill us <laughs> and we'll run with that. Like, go, it's like imagine if, I mean, we kind of get them it actually gets that bit about four volumes in when Shakespeare is basically like Ghostbusters and he's trying to tame wild stories from messing with people. Um, yeah, you know what I mean? And though that's not quite, going down another alleyway here. Wow, you have got me really loopy. Um <laughs> Like it's quite fun for a story let's take this assumption of something that scares me, I don't quite believe, and play with it, you know what I mean, because that's one of the things stories can do and it's quite safely, the idea of stories shouldn't be ways to stop us thinking, stories should be ways to sort of open our minds though I'm also, beware the word should, should's one of those should is normally a word which tells you that somebody is trying to trick you <laughs> so <laughs> don't believe what I just said either and scene
1: that was so fascinating. Thank you so much for that. Oh my gosh, that's yeah, good, good question, Dallas. Thank you.
2: In the ancient past, there was a question, and it did unleash <laughs> a poem. Uh...
0: I I am glad it it brought us to Once in Future though, because I I adore Once in Future. It's probably I love your body of work, but it's probably the one that speaks to me the most. Um, I was listening to your podcast Decompressed, and you said that once in future is sort of taking the tropes and trappings of superhero comics and applying them to Arthurian legend. Um, what, what inspired you to do that with once in future?
2: I, I must say I can do a really short answer this time. I thought it would be fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, some of it was just like, I wanted to do like once, a, once of Future is so much fun to write. It's a joy. I mean, Dan and Tamara are amazing to work with. Um, but explicitly, when I was doing it, I didn't have my heart or brain able to do another book like Die at the same, because I I just can't do it. I can't run, because also you have to run the book at Image in that way, essentially. The amount of cognitive load was beyond me. Um, and I thought, what? And especially with Image, I often, like, view my creator around as kind of um, a duty. Like, you can do anything, therefore you should throw everything you've got at something. And there was, once the future, I kind of had, like, why don't I do a book that's more like Afra? You know, like something that's fun to write, <laughs> something that doesn't have to kill me. <laughs> you know, and I, and I hate that because it sounds like it's less, you know, not as important work. But like that, you take, you know, there's different types of food. You know what I mean? Like that, there's, you know, that's kind of the point. So with Want a future? It's like let's just bring some of that skill set to bear. Let's bring the sort of muscles I use when writing a Marvel book or a Star Wars book. Um, and in the case of like what's the future? Okay, what's a really good pop narrative? Because um. I mean, I've talked to, you probably heard me talk about the whole, um, um, where the original idea, the idea is how can you do an adventure story without the colonialism? Like how do you do Indiana Jones without just basically shooting other people's religious leaders. <laughs> and the answer was you can do it with King Arthur, you know, you do it with our own kind of cultural history as in I'm British therefore yeah, our own quotation marks. Um, and from there it's like, okay, that's a, that's immediately a fun game. And I just started thinking about, okay, I end up being me. I dig into the concept of the canon of King Arthur because immediately, like, I don't know what's interesting about King Arthur is how his meaning has changed over the 1500 years he's existed, quote quotation marks again, as it's always been about whatever period. He was originally a Welsh nationalist. I knew that at the beginning. But the more you dig into different periods, it's what Arthur says about us, you know, like, um, and that becomes fairly, obviously a bit like, like the last hundred years of superhero comics. Like, you know, you see how these archetypes and these I'm doing a face. I don't, I'm not sure I agree with superheroes as archetypes. These pulp figures, um, are warped. I mean, Batman in the sixties is different from what Batman in the eighties, you know, and they talk about the time they're in. So me, so the fact I'm already thinking on those lines and examining that, that in terms of the Arthur up to the point where they the come to art, we've got multiple Arthur from different sort of periods fighting each other as another great metaphor fighting is, there's the best metaphor. Um, and that very logically leads to we make it feel like a superhero comic then. Because the other flip is on a pure commercial level, like you write something like Arthur is like, Arthur's a bit like writing Batman, as in people kind of know who King Arthur is. But when you're writing Batman, you kind of want to see a twist on it. So if King, like, I can take a, we know people know enough about Arthur to go, oh, I get it, it's King Arthur. Oh, but this one is the, you know, this one's a bit like a Power Ranger, or this one is a bit like a huge steampunk knight, <laughs> or this, you know what I mean? Like, you so see, you're playing that kind of game. And especially with an artist who is completely berserk like dan is it's like i want to give him something because he can be drawing batman he's drawing batman at the same time i kind of go like okay every issue you've got to give dan something new or at least one or two new weird things to throw at the page and it's like let's see dan's on a gorgon or the green knight or uh, Excalibur or what you know what you know all that kind of stuff and these and applying those tool sets to something which isn't traditionally superheroes is fun and exciting i mean like it's just showing my age but you know the in the late nineties, when you're doing stuff like the Matrix or Buffy, these were basically applying the superhero tool set to things that did not appear to be a superhero comic to begin with. I mean the matrix you know, the matrix is cool people in black leather costumes like they went to an industrial nightclub. You know, like you know, I was in those clubs. But that's like you know, that's you know, secret identities, it's the nature of reality, it's you know, superpowers, it's you know, action, it's you know, all those kind of stuff mixed in together. So taking the vocabulary of superhero comics or the, the tricks of superhero comics and applying them elsewhere, that can be fun. Especially when you've got something as known as Arthur. But mainly it was fun. You know, like, who wouldn't want to see an enormous zombie king Arthur? I would.
0: I mean, it, it grabbed me, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I read one issue and I was like, he did what to the Brexit people? And then I've been
2: reading ever <laughs> since. <laughs> yeah, that was a, literally that's the first scene. Obviously, even before I had Bridget, it was like, me thinking about it off and then they're immediately, um, yeah, and, he would, and also he would immediately kill the nationalist who raised him because that's, he's a Welsh character, for fuck's sake. <sighs> Anyway. I do, I love that idea of mining our own mythology
0: instead of mining other people's mythology because I mean, it, it says so much about us as a people and superheroes as, like, we're, we're based in America, as, like, America's mythology about themselves, right? Mm. That We and how that has evolved over time, it's it's fascinating. I think that is a huge strength of the book.
2: Well, it is. I mean, I mean, the, the concept of like we return to the idea of stories, stories we tell ourselves, you know. And then our modern myth. If you looked at Arthur or, or the American superheroes, these are the myths we're choosing to tell ourselves about the world at this moment. Um, and that—that's always, I mean, look I mean, Tolkien was deliberately trying to do a kind of a myth of modern England. I think you know. Then you know, this quotes about him saying that, and I think about like I don't Lovecraft, who of course is you know a troubled figure in lots of ways but i found myself thinking about in an awful way his vision of the world as an um nothing matters and everything's awful <laughs> that's a wonderful picture of like how the world seemed in 1920s you know it's the hell it's it's you know who could look at world war one and not think the world the sky is empty and god hates us uh you know like that that, that bit of lovecraft does make sense in that way and in some ways the mythology for the awful side of the american century including the racism you know, like you know, the modern myth of America. You know, you, you can't really have a myth of America without that aboard. Um, I've never, sorry. I'm now riffing. I've never thought about this stuff before, so that's that's not quite true. I've never said this stuff before, and I'm going down this whole thing where it goes. But yeah, the, that's awful. The idea of them um, Lovecraft as the true poet of America. Ugh. <laughs> you know, and not in a good way.
0: Yeah. It's interesting what things ooze out of our mythology. You know, he yeah, can't help. Yeah, but yeah, ooze the appropriate word.
2: <laughs> so, it's like, in, in for- has <laughs> lots of yeah. sorry, it's definitely dying. Uh, with die was tricky because I'm not a Lovecraft fan in any way. Like, so, but, it, but at the same time, he is quite and quite important to the development of RPGs for a few reasons. So, it's like I have to include him. But like, mm-hmm. also, how you choose to treat him is interesting because you don't. Because you know that that's always the trick, especially when dealing with historical stuff. And also, what's respectful because it's like. um, that's also the second question. I mean, with Die, you've always got the slight cheat mode that they're not actually really the characters. They are echoes. You know, like uh, you get Charlotte Bronte saying, you know, I'm a I'm a pretty version, you know, whatever version she does, but, you know, I'm not the real person. I'm a story version of her. Um, so I've got a little bit of distance, <laughs> but you still want to be careful. Absolutely. Um, do we want to
0: move, maybe wrapping up, talking about Judgment Day, Eternals, and then we, we can mm-hmm. let you
2: go? Yeah, cool. I've probably got about till five past about five between five and ten minutes past. I've got about that amount of time. Perfect. So That's great. that sounds perfect. Um, so we
0: talked a lot about dealing with X-Men, how complex they are, how how much everybody brings to those characters. How did you find writing Eternals different with a relatively untapped IP?
2: It's almost like Eternals almost felt like Something I remember uh, Scott Snyder saying about the difference between creator owned and work for hire. He defined like work for hire sorry, creator owned is you've got this thing you care about intensely, but um uh no one else gives a damn about you. The trick is you've got to work out a way to make anyone else care. Conversely, work for hire, you've probably got something which people care about intensely, but you maybe don't care about as much. And you've got to find to make way to make yourself care as in what makes me interested about this character. And I think that's quite true. Like, um, with work for hire when people ask me to do it, I immediately go okay what is interesting here and like even if I'm not a fan to begin with um I won't take the job unless I can make myself a fan you know and like te- really like internalize it with eternals it's like um it was a question of how can i explain this book which has not always been successful you know it's never really been successful and never quite worked as well as people wanted in the marvel universe and frankly a lot of people just don't like how i'm still still... It's quite nice that now we're near the end of the run uh, of you know, me and Assad. Like, you expre- you expressly get people going out to bat for the book. You know what I mean? As I no, people say, oh, the eternal." you know, who cares about the Eternals? It's really good. Read it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's the battle. Because, like, you're kind of going, like, what people's expectations are at. So that's kind of like, I was immediately like, okay, this is a difficult wicket. That's why I want to do it. I want to see if I can take these characters and work out a way to make them sing. Um, and also, the, I, this is much more a way I'm comfortable working. You know, I said that I'm somebody lock me in a hole and let me work until I emerge. That's it. You know, I wanted to do, if I was coming back to Marvel, I wanted to do stuff only I would do. And I mean that like, you know, when I, I coded a name generator for the um, deviants, so all the, you know, I can generate as many deviant names as I want. And I'm taking all the existing Marvel deviant names, breaking down to their phenomes and re- rearranging, the, you know, coding them into a system. So I can generate eternal names. I don't think many other people would do that. Um, but I would <laughs> And like also the stuff I learned about Tolkien And like in terms of Eternals Okay let's try to take this enormous amount of continuity Some of which doesn't make Any sense when it's linked to something else And try to turn it into mythology uh, And make it bigger than the page uh, So like you know Listing a hundred Eternals And try, let's find the problems that don't What make, what makes Eternals not work Let's solve that problem So like in, in my case it was like they don't have a tragedy So I added a tragedy You know Marvel characters are about the, the, the Uncle Ben spider-man never became spider-man when he was bit by a spider he became a spider-man when he he got his uncle killed um you know what i mean and that's the core cool marvel character the world is flawed but you are too and with the eternals they never really had that so i added you know the resurrection problem which is a, a polite way of putting it um yeah does that mean like i'm sort of like saying a lot of what i did and that's the fun of it you know it was, it was a difficult job but i got to do it with an amazing art team and done stuff i'm really proud of you know what i mean it's like um and it also builds towards where we're going with Judgment Day. And that kind of like, it is like a cascadingly bigger and bigger thing. Uh, and now we merge the entire Marvel Universe together and try to do a story with it.
0: What What does that event writing look like
2: for you? It's difficult. Like, um, <laughs> it's, a, it's fun. I, I've never done, I say it's fun. That's not quite true. It's an, a unique creative challenge. I mean, my problem is I'm quite a, I'm a writer who wants to know everything. And I, I, by which I mean, I need to know everything in the world, and even the, the readers need to know it. But I kind of want to, so I'm I'm trying to think about okay, how to write the Marvel universe. Like that's what an event is. Even it's Avengers versus Eternals versus X Men. So it's that's what it is. But you know, I've still got to know what the Fantastic Four were doing. You know, because it's it's a story about Earth, <laughs> and uh, so that's hard. So you're trying to do that symphonic writing. But the other side of it is like I've written enough tie-ins to sort of know what crossovers I like writing for. So I'm trying to write something that's good for other people to write to. I'm not just writing a story. I'm writing also a story prompt, as in and I want to do something which, and and people will really see it in the second act when we get to it. I'm throwing a big question at all the other books, and they get to have a lot of fun with it, as opposed to me making them do stuff, you know? Um, so that was a big part of it. But the flip is so it's, it's trying to be, hold a whole line together, but sometimes it's also got to be a really good story. And that becomes like, it's so big, in which case, who are the emotional through lines? So you've got to like, while I am writing the Marvel Universe, I've also got to choose some people to be the perspective characters. And then the weird thing about the book is the fact I'm doing Death of the Mutants, which is kind of an Eternals book and Immortal at the same time. I can like, okay, these are the through lines in the Judgment Day, Then other characters I'm not giving as much space to, I can do other through lines you know, and they become symphonic, symphonic. So if you return to the earlier thing I was saying, if you're reading all the books, you're going to get this very rich multiple layered thing. But if you just read one of them, you're still getting a story Uh, and you're getting a story, which is self-contained with its own emotional through lines. Um, That's what it's like. It's just really, I mean, I do laugh when I was sort of pitched it to hit like the, the whole room, they have the big sort of retreats. I mean, I think I mean, John said something like, ah, oh, yes, you've written about three times as much as you needed to, Kieran. Chuckle. <laughs> uh, and, of course, he was right, and it's because, like, you know, and I think it was originally meant to be five issues, and it's like, I think it's six, six, and I'm, I'm writing a bunch, of well as my normal books, I've got a number of other tie-ins as well at various points to, like, br- to, like get more detail. So, yeah, I've done, I've gone to town. I've just basically done an enormous Kieran Gillan event, as in it's all too much. Um, but it's delightful. I mean, um, And it's quite fun that I've almost written almost all of it now. So, and the first issue isn't out. Um, So, Valerio's almost drawn it all. Uh, And he's so good. It's one of those bits that's almost quite soothing to kind of like have a Valerio page come over. And it's it's lunacy. It's just so like, oh, you did that with your hands. (laughs) Uh, You know what I mean? Like, and it's almost like, oh, no, I've got this amazing special effects budget. And stuff I was worried about, he makes sing. You know what I mean? Like, and it feels like an. It really does. You, you get some pages back. You go, oh yeah, this is an event. <laughs> you know. Anyway.
1: Yeah, perfect. I'm. I. I'm so excited. I need to get. I'm one of the people that's been slacking on Eternals. I need to get caught up on that before. But I'm ready to just completely digest every single part of this event. So oh, yeah. it's the first time I've thought that about an event in a
2: long time. So I hope you like. It. I mean, it's tricky because events are really hard. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah. just... The only thing like, I wanted to do, I wanted it to emerge from all the books. So, like, it's not derailing the X-Men. It's explicitly what the X-Men story has been <laughs> and comes straight out of, you know. So all the, And also, like, if if you aren't reading those books, you still read the cross. So, like, if you're not reading Eternals, it doesn't matter. We'll, we're going to tell you everything. And it makes it really – sorry, the Avengers not knowing anything what's going on <laughs> it makes it really – because they're basically the, the viewpoint characters in the first episode. Mm-hmm. But, like – X Men did what? <laughs> Eternal, you did what? What are you do? Uh, and it's great because it's they're not, they're not foolish anyway, but they're really empathizable and useful. So like we can we can reestablish all the stakes, we set stuff up and go. Yeah, I, like I said, like all you can do is hope people like it. Uh, so we'll see. I like that.
0: Um, do we have any? Maybe one last question for Kieran before we go.
3: Um.
1: I'm good on my end. I got more than I possibly could have
0: asked for. So
3: I know that he has like 70 questions written down. So I know. Once you <laughs> know I, in there.
0: Um, no, I, I, really,
2: I, I appreciate your time a lot. This, this was so amazing. This was very fun. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Honestly, um, is, like, is there anything my brain you want broken. to say? <laughs> no, no. Thank you. Um, no, my brain is relatively broken. So excuse me if I said anything that's completely nonsensical. Um, it's good. No, no, it's it's delightful to talk to you. I will just plug the um, uh, the Kickstarter again, ongoing at the moment. Uh, so the, the thing is, since we were, we were originally going to do it in November, but we c- cancelled for mainly COVID reasons, and uh, we sort of re- we carried on working. So it's actually really close to fulfilment already. I think we're talking about the, um, the if everything goes right, it's the back end of July for the PDF version. So in other words, it's like going to be in people's hands really quickly. Hopefully, I mean, I'm I'm using the word hopefully a lot there because you know what the world's like. But like, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean we've got all these, we've hit like 313 today. So we've got a load of the stretch goals and people's stretch gold art is starting to come in. We've got a wonderful piece by Margaret Savage just arrived, which is so gorgeous. Um, So yeah, this is a nice place. I mean, my life is so weird at the moment and so incredibly intense. The workload is is not healthy, Um, but I'm glad to be able to stop soon. And I'm glad to be talking to you and I'm speaking nonsense. So I'm going to stop and drop the mic. Thank you for having me. (laughs)
0: Thank you so much. Um, And again, to our, to our listeners, if you haven't had a chance to check out some of Kieran's recent work, we obviously highly recommend it. Immortal X-Men has mm-hmm. been great. Eternals is great. And his creator own work is impeccable. So go out. You have a new reading pile everyone <laughs> and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye.
2: Toodles. Bye.